Hey, welcome to Vista. Uh, great to have you. Before we jump into some worship, I wanted to mention a couple things to you. Number one, uh, if you've got graduates, we'd like to know that and celebrate with you. Number two, we've got one more online week of service, and then on May 30th, we go weekly. Kids Community is going to kick off at that same time in an every other week uh, rhythm. Uh, but you'll see a video from them real shortly that explains all that. So if you've got kids, make sure you catch that. I would also love it if you could pick up my most recent podcast. It's called ReChurch. Um, it, 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 it dropped on Thursday. And so catch that. It's, a, it's really a good capture of where we are as a church right now. Um, okay, so let's, let's move into some worship. Let me encourage you to engage this time. We captured this uh, the last Thursday of last month where um, actually you're invited to be a part of those last Thursdays. We, we pulled out a segment of worship from there. And I'm trusting, even in these moments, that God will meet you in this space. Um, worship comes in many different forms, but what's critical is our posture and our attitude, no matter what. Here we are online worshiping. It, it can happen um, if you get in the right frame of mind. So let me encourage you to, to be prayerful, worshipful, lift God up in these moments, be refreshed uh, by him, okay? And then I'll see you back here in just a few minutes. Wow, we are, we, things are changing, aren't they? Uh, Governor DeWine uh, uh, says June 2nd, uh, the COVID restrictions are gonna, uh, be lifted. Uh, we're going back to week to week. Uh, the summer's probably going to go fast, and on September 12th, uh, we anticipate a celebration uh, that we've made it through in a lot of ways. Uh, some of the changes that have come about uh, and, a, and a reaffirmation from God of who we are as a church. Uh, one of the things we're going to be working on through the summer is uh, locating a facility for the Northwest uh, quadrant, if you've got connections for 10 to 20,000 square feet, I would love to hear from you. Um, we're going to be working on that as a first priority. So, wow, everything's changing. Uh, so much behind us in the last 16 months. Um, it's history that um, maybe right now is a little raw, but we just experienced something that will go into the books forever, really. Uh, in many ways. Uh, do you like history? I don't know if history is a top subject for a lot of people. <laughs> I don't hear that one very much. Um, I didn't like it in school because I was forced to memorize stuff and I'm horrible at memorizing stuff, but history itself, I love it. I love history. I love digging back through the archives. I love asking questions of parents and grandparents about what life used to be like. I like looking at old photos. I've got boxes and boxes of stuff from my short history on this earth and my wife's and, and I like going back to those things. And at this stage, I can go back 40 years and read stuff. I wanna talk a little bit today about history, but I'm using a play on that word. We wanna talk about his story, his story, God's story. And not just God's story, how your story fits into it. We're looking at this story um, that the Fergusons have been writing for years and years, and they, they captured it in this book called Bless. And we're studying that book, 
and it's really just a practical, powerful way to love your neighbor. Uh, it seems like loving your neighbor, building a relationship with someone ought to be intuitive, uh, but, but it's not. It, it, there are some mechanics to doing that well, and they've just simply laid that out. And we've been working through that together as a church. We've talked about uh, beginning with prayer, how important that is. Uh, we talked about uh, listening, L, listening well to others, hard thing to do. E, eating <laughs> with one another. It's really a metaphor for finding common ground. You know, humans have a lot of commonalities. It's more and more difficult to find it, but it's there. Last week we talked about serving, and this week we want to talk about story, your story and God's story and how those two fit together. Um, this whole blessed thing is critical. Um, I should say this before we go any further. Uh, it's critical, and here's why. The truest and best discipleship, um, the, 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 the most effective means by which a person begins a journey with Jesus is as a result of a relationship with somebody else who already has faith. This is the way it's always been. So for us to learn these sorts of things is critical because the future church, the future healthy church is gonna be a church where every single person within the church recognizes the responsibility and takes the ownership and understands that those that come to Christ are gonna come because of a relationship, most likely, and in some cases with you. Jesus said, um, uh, and it was recorded in John chapter 20, after his resurrection and just before he uh, departed, he said that as the Father has sent me, I also am sending you. And then he breathed the Spirit of God into them. And that's the church, and that's us today. We're filled with the Spirit of God to continue the work that Jesus began to draw others to himself and to the Father and into eternal life. That's why we're studying this. That's why we're focusing on that. So let's talk about your story, your story. Here's my first question. Do you like your story? Do you have a story? You do have a story. You, you know that. You have a story. We have different feelings about our story. Do you like it? Do you not like it? Would you like to forget about it? Is it not exciting? Is it boring? Uh, is it too much, right? Uh, I know for me, I tend to think that my story is kind of boring. I've never been face down in the gutter. I've never been at the end of my rope in such a way that um, I only had one option and that was God. I've been a pretty good kid and a pretty good guy most of my life. I remember we had friends. Um, there was a time when we had friends. I, I didn't say that exactly right. I remember a time when some particular friends, we were, we were having dinner with them. We were at their home. We were young. None of us had kids. And I was looking through an old photo album, and I saw our friend Nancy, who was a wonderfully uh, talented, beautiful, uh, good person. Uh, and I, look and I see this picture of her, clearly intoxicated, and dancing on a table. 
in this picture. And I look at her and I'm like, Nance, this is you? And she's like, yeah, I'd really rather not talk about that part of my history. And I had a different take. I was like, yeah, but you, you, you failed in certain ways. You, you suffered in certain ways that grew you up, that matured you, that, that, uh, and I, I don't, I don't have a history like that. And I said to her, I wish I had a history like that. And she looked at me and said, no, you don't. No, I could tell you why you wouldn't want. See, my story is not her story. Her story is not my story. Your story is your story. And my story is my story. And God wants to do something with it. As a follower of Jesus, um, as a believer, as one who's put your faith in Christ, I want to remind you of this. You're part of a macro story. You're part of an epic story. You're, you're, you're part of an historic story. Not a, not a fairy tale story, an actual, enduring, God-centered, eternal history and future. His story. Your story as a believer is part of God's great story. This is a, this is a, a thousands-year-old like world existence that God has breathed life into and continues to animate by his spirit. God created it, created us, breathed life into it, and we're a part of this story. And there's three threads that run through this macro story, among others. Maybe, maybe these you would call these central threads. This is going to be part of God's story always, and when you become a part of his story, these things become part of your story. Here's what they are. Number one, a call to trust and obey. The consequences for the opposite, distrust and disobedience, and then the consistent mercies of God. You're going to see these threads through God's great history, through his story from beginning to end. The call to trust and obey. The consequences for disobedience and distrust and the continual mercy of God. I'm going to map out for you uh, with the acronym or the acrostic, whatever it is, gospel, G-O-S-P-E-L, sort of in broad, bro broad brush strokes, the story of God, God's great story. Okay, here we go. G, the garden. You could, you could say Genesis, but more specifically, the garden and Adam and Eve, right? Think about it. God creates the garden, creates the world. He puts two trees at the center of the garden. He says to Adam and Eve, you can eat from this tree, but don't eat from this tree. He sets up this call to trust and obey, but they don't. They disobey right? They don't trust him, and so they suffer the consequences. But what you see is the mercy of God. They would get kicked out of the garden, but God makes a way for them to be restored. We see in the beginning, in the garden, this thread of trust and distrust and the mercy of God. Okay, fast forward into the rest of the Old Testament. I said broad brush strokes, right? The rest of the Old Testament. The, the Israelite story is the same. 
The central character, or the, 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 uh, the, the founding father, Abraham, right? And Abraham, if you know the story, was called to faith. He was called to trust and obedience. God says, I know it's beyond possible. It's beyond your understanding. It's beyond what you think is even conceivable. Uh, no pun intended, for you to have children at your old age, but I am going to make it happen. Trust me on this. And we see a life in Abraham, just like you might suspect, of trust and distrust and trust and distrust. And we see the same thing replicated as his family grows, the whole nation of God goes through this roller coaster life of trust and mistrust. But through it all, we see the mercy of God. Listen to how Isaiah captured it, a prophet uh, of God in the midst of it all. He says, uh, listen, O heavens, give ear, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. I have raised children. I have brought them up, but they have rebelled against me. He finishes this one chapter with this. Though your sins are like scarlet, they will be as white as snow. Though they are as red as crimson, they will become like wool. If you are willing and obedient, you will eat the best of the land. This is what we see with God's story and the people in God's story over and over and over again. S, Savior, salvation. This is Jesus now. We've had Adam, we've had Abraham, and now we have Jesus. And what we see in Jesus is the one who actually did trust God completely and fully from beginning to end. Right? We read about it in Philippians. It says, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself, which means he deferred to God. He trusted God completely, becoming obedient, trusted and obedient unto death, even death on a cross, the most shaming way you could die those times, and completely unjustly. But Jesus was the one who turned the tide. And in him, in him is how we end up trusting God. It's really Jesus' trust that, that restores us with God. But we see this same thread in our life, even though we have this security in him, our own lives continue to reflect this idea of distrust and disobedience and the consequences and the mercy of God. We see this throughout God's story from the garden to the uh, Israelites in the Old Testament to our lives, even inside of Christ. Here, here's, what, here's what Isaiah says uh, about that. He says, I'll greatly rejoice in the Lord, for my soul shall be joyful in my God, for he hath clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has clothed me with the garments of salvation. John 3, 16 and 17. Maybe, many of you know this verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. God didn't send his Son into the world to condemn it, but to save the world through him. S, we are saved. We find salvation. We are clothed. This is where we start to get this picture of our story inside of his story. We are clothed with Christ. We, we, are, we are caught up in him. It is through his work and his complete trust that we have reconciliation. And here's the shocking news. 
This is the shocking. This is the inexplicable part of the gospel arrangement. This life-giving reality where salvation comes and your story gets grafted into his story. As time rolls on from that salvation point forward in every believer's life, in a sense, your story should be increasingly indistinguishable from God's story. You're grafted into it. You're growing into it. You're becoming one with it. And in the process, becoming unified with all those that have grafted their life into his story in Christ. This magnificent diversity of people all together being grafted into and unified inside of one epic story. We are now the people of God in a, in a literal sense. We, we are the people of God. We are the people of God's story. Just like any character before us, any person before us, all the way back to a- Adam, we are the characters of his great story. This is the way Paul puts it to the Galatians, to the people of God, P, G-O-S-P, people of God. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. If you belong to Christ, then you are Adam's heritage, I'm paraphrasing, and heirs according to the promise. I just wonder if you think about this. I wonder if you consider this. I wonder if you're impacted by this reality. In Christ, we are clothed with salvation. In Christ, we are grafted into God's great story. There, <laughs> let it impact you. Think about it. Pray about this. You, you are part of something that exceeds time. There is an invisible, largely invisible, eternal world that relatively few people will ever understand, they will ever acknowledge, they will ever experience. If you've heard the name of Jesus, you have been offered access to it. If you've put your faith in him, you are in to this invisible, eternal world. Part of the people of God, chosen to grasp it, to be caught up in it. You are a rare breed. The question is whether or not you realize it and you live in accordance with that great story. You're caught up. As a believer, you are caught up by faith in his story. As the the world around us becomes more globally connected, oftentimes around righting the wrongs or championing the causes of this world in order to bring some kind of fix, some kind of healing. While the world is, is, is focused on this world, 
the God-restored people of this world are living out a story far more grand than any of the stories of this world. Even the best stories of this world do not compare to the story of God that the believer is caught up in. And the great thing is that this story actually breathes meaning and hope into the stories of this world. This is a hard concept to grasp, but the eternal, invisible world of God, his story, his epic story that we are caught up in, is more real than the one we see most evidently in this world. God's invisible kingdom is more real than this one. That's hard to get our sensibilities around. C.S. Lewis, who's done, who did such a great job articulating difficult truths, you know C.S. Lewis. He wrote um, uh, The Chronicles of Narnia, Mere Christianity, and numerous other works. Listen to how he describes the realness of God's world. When we come to man, the highest of the animals, we get the completest resemblance of God that we know of. Man not only lives, but he loves and he reasons. Biological life reaches its highest known level in man. But what man, in his natural condition, has not got is spiritual life. The higher and different sort of life that exists in God. We use the same word, life, for both. This life and the next life. Natural life and eternal life. But if you thought that both must therefore be the same sort of thing, that would be like thinking that the greatness of space and the greatness of God were the same sort of greatness. He goes on. In reality, the difference between biological life and spiritual life is so important that I'm going to give them two distinct names. Lewis says the biological support which comes to us through nature and which is always tending to run down and decay and be kept alive by incessant subsidies from nature in the form of air and water and food, etc., he calls bios, biological life. The spiritual life which is in God from all eternity and which made the whole natural universe is Zoe. Bios, natural life. Zoe, spiritual life. Biological life, eternal life. Bios, C.S. Lewis says, to be sure, has a certain shadowy or symbolic resemblance to Zoe, but only the sort of resemblance there is between a photo and a place. Catch this, or a statue and a man. A man who's changed from having bios to having Zoe would have gone through as big a change as a statue which changed from being a carved stone to being a real man. 
And that is precisely what Christianity is about. Here's the upshot. This world, C.S. Lewis is, says, is a great sculptor's shop. We are the statues, and there is a rumor going around the shop that some of us are someday going to come to life. I wonder, this is me talking again, <clears throat> I wonder if we were more truly aware of his story, the limited reality of what we see, if we were more caught up in his story than just our own story and the one that we can see. If we could embrace more fully the inexplicable realness of eternal life and spiritual life and his story, whether we would have so much trouble speaking about it. You see what I'm saying? I wonder if beyond the mechanics of building relationships and sharing the gospel, the core problem is we aren't as swept up in the story and the life and the breath of God as we could be. And if we were, it would make all the difference. Just think about, just think about a passion you have in life, a hobby you have in life, something that you love. When you get together with somebody and it comes up in conversation, you just talk about it because you're wrapped up in it. It could be a cause, it could be a passion, it could be anything. The one that should take priority for us is the whole idea and the whole reality of God's story, God's life, all that he's doing, his son, his spirit, and the health and the healing that he's bringing about in this world that we are a part of. If we were to lean into that and to be a part of that more fully than we've ever been, more fully than anything else in our life, I don't know that we would need a lot of instruction on how to tell our story or how to tell the story. Maybe we struggle to tell our story because we have failed to stay caught up such that his story is filling and flowing through ours. Maybe that's our real problem. It's worth considering. Listen to what Jesus said to a bunch of people that were really, really caught up in this visible world. He says, I'm only with you for a short time, and then I'm going to go, this is John 7, then I'm going to go to the one who sent me. You will look for me, but you will not find me. And where I am, you cannot come. These are, these are tough words. And they don't really understand. They start talking to each other. Where does he intend to go that we can't find him? What did he mean when he said, you'll look for me, but you're not going to find me. And where I am, you cannot come. He's talking to those who don't have eyes to see what's real. They only have eyes to see what they can see. And he says, you can't find me here. You can only find me there in a spiritual place. And then he speaks to those who are thirsty for what's real. He says to them, and he said this on the last and greatest day of the festival, and he stood up and he said it loud. 
He said, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. As you are more consistently and truly caught up in real history, his story, uh, practicing these blessed mechanics, the Spirit will then take you to the edge, E. He'll take you to the edge, to the people that God is calling to himself, and you will have the awesome privilege of simply saying what is true about his story and yours within it. Listen to how John puts it. This is the will of him who sent me. Well, this is John capturing Jesus' words. This is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of those that he has given me. My Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them. As you are caught up in Jesus' story, you're caught up in God's story, he will move you into the direction and out to the edge where he is pulling other people in and you will intersect at that place and you will tell your story and they will respond to it because God has prepped them and is drawing them to himself. You'll tell the story of God and it will include life as it was meant to be. L. This is God's story. It starts with creation and it starts with our hope of recreation. Life as it was intended to be. That's the story. That's his story with a savior right in the middle in which we become clothed and grafted into his great story. And then when we get the opportunity, we talk about what we have been caught up in. This life as it's begun to be, be restored in me, restored within the church and how the church is a part of seeing this whole place that we see restored. It's a beautiful story that you can be caught up in and talk about. On a micro level, your story is unique and it's important and you should know it and you should work on telling it. The Fergusons do a great job of helping us understand his story and learning to articulate yours. Dig into that chapter this week. Let me add my three cents, three things that I think are necessary for your testimony. Here we go. First of all, your life needs to be unusual right? Your life needs to be different than those whose story is only wrapped up in this life. Your story needs to, to, to be something that, that, that speaks beyond the troubles and the celebrations of this life. Let me ask you this. What has everyone excited? What's everybody excited about? What's everybody fretting about? What's everybody afraid of? What's, what, what do people do to calm down? What does everyone do to feel meaningful? What does this world, why is this world so reluctant to apologize? And why and how are you different? How is your life different? When everybody's getting excited about that thing, 
Are you evidently excited about what God's up to? When everybody's afraid of this happening, do you exhibit a peace and a calmness that is not of this world? As people grapple for what gives them meaning, do you get caught in that rat race or do you find your meaning from what's true in his story as it's connected with yours, right? Our lives have got to be unusual. The kinds of lives that cause people to ask questions because it doesn't fit with the equations of this world. Matthew says, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Let the light shine that is within you because of the story that you are grafted into and watch how other people respond. Secondly, your story needs a hook. <laughs> you need a hook. There is a unique central thing about you that you need to learn how to shape into words that's compelling for others. Let me tell you a couple of hooks related to the story of my life. I might say something like this. You know, if you look at my not life, it might not seem like there's much saving that's necessary, but Jesus saves me every day. Can you see how that, that might catch someone's attention? Or try this one. This is me speaking, right? I've been generally morally good most of my life, even in my childhood and my teens. So it's still fascinating to me to remember that morality and good behavioral behavior isn't central to Jesus' message. Can you see how people would be like, wait, what do you mean by that? Or this one, it's always been strange to me that the longer I live as a Christian, the more forgiveness I need. Do you see what I mean by the hook of that? There's something that catches attention, something that people might want to know more about. Build that hook into the, the story of your life, the questions, the, the, the juxtapositions, the things that, 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 would, that would catch the attention of somebody. Finally, your words need only be true. They only need to be true. I remember sitting uh, with Mike Borst years and years ago, and he was working on a sermon for the coming week. And I was, I guess, maybe badgering him to some degree because he, he I, I was probably saying something like, well, you can say that, but how are you going to support it? How are you going to prove it? What's, what's, what's going to be the foundation for that? Da, da, da. And he said, Mike, is it, is it okay if every now and then I just say something that's true? Do I have to defend everything or do I, can I just say things that are true? And I stood duly corrected. And the same is true for you and me. You don't really have to defend anything. All that we're called to do is talk about what's true. Part of the reason we feel like we have to defend things is because it really isn't as true for us as it should be. Make it true. Get caught up in the story of God and talk about what's true. If you're living your life all out for Jesus, you're taking risks built on faith. You're going to have stuff to talk about. 
You're going to be grateful to God for how he showed up. You might even be awestruck by what he's done. And then all you have to do is just talk about it. Give him credit. And then ask those that are listening if they want to come along with you and see some of those same things happen. Listen to how the psalmist puts it. I'll close with these words. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Right? Just say what he's doing. Paul says this, When I came to you, brothers, I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, for I decided to know nothing except Christ Jesus and him crucified. He just said what was true. And then John, this is one of his last letters that he wrote. After walking with Jesus as one of the first Christians for decades, John, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we've looked upon, touched with our hands concerning the word of life, that life was made manifest and we've seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you so that you may have fellowship with us, with the Father and with his Son, and we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. It's really interesting. No one knows if that word should be translated our or your, and it doesn't really matter. Because Paul is saying, by talking about what is true, we end up completing the joy of the response of someone else saying, me too. Remember, God is always drawing others to him. And our joy is made complete when we talk about what's true in our story and what's true as we're caught up in his story. And every now and then we get the joy of someone else connecting with that and saying, hey, I kind of get it. Hey, I'm interested, right? And our joy is made complete. There was a thing that early, early, early Christians used to do when they were in the middle of great persecution. And you might have seen the ichthus. You might have seen the fish, right? The Christian fish. And a Christian would draw a half, a semicircle in the dirt or on the, scribe it on, the, on a stone. And someone else would finish that with an alternative half, uh, half circle that would make this fish. It was, it was a way of completing the joy of one person caught up in the story, meeting with another person caught up in the same story. And we look to replicate that time and again. God is doing it. God is drawing people to his son. And those people, Jesus will not lose any of them. And God gives us the privilege of being at that intersection and just saying what is true about our story inside of his. Just keep telling the story, church. Talk about what's true. Get caught up in it and know a joy like none other. God bless you. Good to be with you. See you soon.